Hi, my name is Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I want to start this episode in a slightly different way because I want to make sure that you are looking after yourselves. Today's episode features trauma and thinking about the way that we can work with people um, experiencing trauma or who have experienced trauma as aspiring psychologists. And it's okay for you to make the choice not to listen to this episode if you feel that to do so would trigger you. Um, Perhaps you are not in the current headspace, you know, where you have the ability to think about this stuff. And it's not to say that you will always feel that way, but if today you're feeling actually this rubs up against some of your own stuff or some stuff that feels really painful. Um, Of course, I'm going to be handling it in a compassionate way, um, using my qualified um, opinions, advice and guidance. Um, But it's okay for you to choose to look after yourself if this does um, sit a little bit too closely to home. Um, You can give yourself permission to come back to this at a future time when you feel like you'll be better resourced to be able to to engage with the content without it um, evoking painful stuff for you um, that might feel overwhelming right now. So I wanted to just give you that option um, and the, the full informed disclosure really that this might feel like a trickier episode than some of the past ones that I have done. Um, Okay, um, I am very much looking forward to talking with you um, to help help you think about this really um, useful and interesting area um, which we have so much value um, to bring. So hi, yeah, welcome along. Like I said um, in the little intro, the little caveat, um, today we are going to be thinking about working with trauma as an aspiring psychologist. Um, and I won't go over everything I've just said in my little um, my little disclaimer, but just to say that it will be, you know, it will be useful stuff, but might feel, um, might feel you know, gritty and raw and real, because of course it is. And you might be thinking, oh no, trauma. 
I've got no interest in working with trauma. Um, perhaps you're thinking that you're going into a, an area of psychology where trauma doesn't crop up as often. And to you, I would say, in my experience, trauma is everywhere um, and it impacts on all areas of society. So actually, I think it's one of the most interesting and relevant topics um, to cover um, because it's so unknown about even um, even within you know mental health services they're not all trauma informed and it can have such a massive impact um, on on people and their lives and the you know choices and decisions that they make and the things that they've experienced so I hope you'll find it really useful um and especially if you're going into forensic psychology, um, it can be incredibly useful. So what we know about um, it's a rudimentary measure called the ACE scale. And what we know um, about uh, about people on the ACE scale um, is that depending on their score, um, you know, people are more likely to experience a whole host of um, physical and mental health um, difficulties. Uh, so, for example, people who score four and above on the ACE scale um, are more likely to experience anxiety, depression. They're more likely to have things like migraines, IBS. They're more likely to be taking um, prescribed medication, unsubscribed medication, and to be experimenting with drugs too. They're more likely to drink more alcohol units per week than people who score three and below on the scale. They're more likely to, um, you know, have a whole host of difficulties, including some spinal, um, disc, um, neck and back problems, including, I believe, some evidence that some heart conditions are more likely in people who score four and above. And of course, at the grand end of the scale, they're more likely to to spend time um, in Her Majesty's prison. Uh, and so that's where the particular relevance comes in for forensic psychology, um, because, of course, what we're looking at is um, often a prison population full of traumatised people. And there's a really interesting uh, book on this by um, Chris Dorr QC, who's one of my LinkedIn connections. Um, and his book is called Justice on Trial. And I found it a really interesting read to help think about the justice system and how it might need a shake-up. So um, if you wanted to do some reading kind of around this topic, but um, a non-psychology stance. So he's a he's a QC. So, um, you know, he, yeah, he writes well. I listen to it on Audible because that's where I listen to my, um, you know, business books and clinical relevant books and, you know, stuff around that. Um, and so I found that really interesting. So you might well find that useful too if you wanted to think some more about the justice system. And um, yeah, I liked his ideas on that. So hope you do find it useful if you do give it a go. So this ACE scale, it um, covers, um, it's 10 questions and it covers a number of different life areas. So it covers sort of perceived threat in that all of these questions are the first 18 years of life. So perceived threat, actual um, physical threat and violence, um, parental separation, uh, parental ill health um, through mental health reasons, parental um, drug use, um, alcohol use 
sexual abuse um, and a number of other factors but all of these will come out with someone's unique ACE score for their first 18 years of life and it can be um, really useful to to talk about um, people's ACE scores with them um, and to help them to understand, you know, the damaging impact um, that trauma can have on on our minds and our bodies. So sometimes when I go through the evidence that, um, that you know, that people are more likely to have migraines and IBS and, you know, spinal disc and neck back problems they're like oh it's like you're reading my medical history it's like you've been chatting with my gp and i haven't um but it feels like i have because they're described you know they're 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 living a life of a traumatized person uh, and this is what we know um happens to people who've been through um you know prolonged trauma um in their in their formative years and of course trauma does have a massive impact on people um, after the age of 18 as well but um, what we know is that it has a particular impact in terms of developmental trauma in the way that people form their beliefs about um, themselves the world and others around them um, from what they experience in their first 18 years so it's really important that we know what a traumatized person looks like and what they'll be experiencing and what they'll be thinking because what i have found is that it doesn't actually take a super amount um, of adverse events to score those four points so it might be that your parents separated it might be that one of your parents had um, alcoholism and the other one had depression um, and then it didn't maybe feel like your family were like other families you know Uh, that's your four points and so many people are walking around living their lives not knowing that technically um, you know, they might be experiencing some symptoms of um, of developmental trauma. They might be spending their life feeling like, you know, I feel really anxious, I don't really know why, I feel um, you know, really depressed, but I haven't got anything to be depressed about. And so when they come into therapy for the first time and we think about developmental trauma, it helps them join up the dots and helps make a lot of sense of that. Please don't think that scoring a high score um, or even maximum score on the ACE scale means that you're, you know, a write-off and there's no chance and you're going to end up in prison because absolutely it doesn't. Um, I have worked with people who score, you know, maximum score on the ACE scale and are incredibly pro-social um, and, you know, really wouldn't want to hurt anybody or say anything bad or do anything bad to them. So, so please don't think that I'm condemning you to, um, you know, a life where you're, you know, not a worthwhile person. That's not at all what I'm saying. But, um, you know, what the evidence tells us is that life is harder for people who have experienced trauma. And what I found with when we work with people um, who might be kind of feeling like they've got um depression and anxiety or you know they don't feel safe but they don't really know why that other people might be quite invalidating of them there's nothing wrong with you you know it's all in your head and actually when we help people to understand trauma and understand what their experiences were you know perhaps if they were all scared of their dad growing up um you know and if um dad was violent growing up or um hit mum um this has um an impact on people and their lives and it can help them to understand themselves better and it can help them you know know that actually there's a reason why they feel like this and can give them um you know give them an approach and a technique and um it can be really validating and really enlightening and help them 
just recognize you know the impact of what they've been through and then to be able to make sense of where they find themselves now and be able to make different choices for themselves and help them to feel safe um, and calm and soothed um, and know that they aren't at risk um, you know imminently anymore and we can help to just turn down that risk alert um, system that allows them to engage in their life in a way that they might not have done at all before. It can be a real privilege working with people in this way. Okay, we're going to just take a quick break here and I will be back to talk with you about how we can show up for ourselves and our clients when we're working with trauma. said um, before we might find ourselves working with people who are traumatized but don't realize that they have um, experienced trauma Um, and that can lead to some interesting and powerful conversations and when we go through that with people you might find that they connect to a great deal of sadness um, about what they've been through and what they've missed out on and what we know is there can be a real overlap between um, anger and anxiety and sadness and so when we're going through this with people we might find that they also feel angry you know they might find that they feel like really aggrieved that this has been something they've been carrying with them so long or that you know that this has had such an impact on them and it shouldn't have done and it wasn't their fault Um, and we might need to help them manage that anger Um, and what we know certainly um, from working with people um, in forensic populations is that there can be a real overlap between anxiety and anger so we might find that someone is showing lots of anger and aggression but actually underneath that you know the primary emotion what comes first is um is anxiety you know it's fear um but it wasn't safe to express that or tap into that and so what comes out is anger the secondary emotion and similarly when we're feeling really anxious sometimes it can be really useful to think actually um, i think you're really annoyed you know i wonder if you're actually really upset about something that's happened but it doesn't feel safe to express that so that can always be really useful to to tap into that anger and anxiety link And I really like it when people start to tell me off um, because it can be a real sign that they're getting better. So when they are able to assert themselves and when they're able to talk about the things that annoy them and especially when they tell me that I'm annoying them um, you know I tell them at the beginning of therapy by the time we finish working together you will tell me how annoying I am um, and that's okay and they're like no 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 you're not annoying there's nothing wrong with you you know I absolutely trust everything you say um you know and I'd never say you're annoying and then by the end of our work you're like oh Marianne you're so annoying um and you're like yeah I know I know um and if I do something that's not okay you know 
they're going to have to tell me that. Whereas to begin with, they might be very acquiescent and willing, um, you know, to let me say what I like, which is where we need to be really careful with our, you know, our power differentials as well to make sure that, um, you know, we are being respectful when people are perhaps in a state where they're not able to um, stick up for themselves and advocate for themselves. But with your excellent work, you know, I really hope that will come. And if this stuff is rubbing up against your own wounds, um, then you might find it helpful to check out my Feel Better Academy, um, which is a place where you can learn to soothe and stabilise yourself and learn to understand why um, trauma has impacted on you in the way it has and help you, you know, learn skills to feel better um, and to show up for yourself. Um, If you're an aspiring psychologist but you haven't experienced trauma yourself, then the Feel Better Academy is also a really useful way of learning those skills um, so that you can then use them to help other people Um, because stabilization work can be so key and so useful and it's an area that um, aspiring psychologists are often really well placed to be able to step in and help it might be that you are able to help think about running a stabilization group perhaps um, or doing some sort of stabilization resources for clients um, to free up space and capacity for um, for the qualified psychologists who might be doing you know trauma processing work perhaps um so yeah just see how that um, shakes down in your service so what we know is we're all just going through our days um you know with the best resources we've got at any given time and by you know upskilling ourselves with new resources we are creating more flexibility for ourselves and more opportunities to be able to engage more fully with our life Um, and one of the most helpful things we can do at any time of the day really is to check in with ourselves and just take a breath Um, so we'll do that together take a breath in through your nose hold it for a moment breathe out through your mouth when you're ready Take a breath in through your nose. Hold it for a moment. Breathe out through your mouth when you're ready. Okay, and we can do really good things just with that. It can help us to re-engage our thinking brain. But um, my children will um, will start to breathe um, when I prompt them and sometimes um, when I don't um, to help them to, you know, re-engage their wise thinking brains uh, when they might be feeling overwhelmed. Um, uh, yeah, and sometimes when mummy gets cross, they're like, mummy, I think you need to take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, hope you find hope you find that useful too. And what you'll notice is when you help regulate clients, that they will come to you in sessions and be like, "Do you realise how many people out there in the world are completely unregulated? They are like all over the shop." Um, and you'll notice that they start to try to regulate those people. So someone I was working with was sharing an office with someone who wasn't managing very well. And, um, you know, my client stepped in and said, I think we just need to take a moment, just drop your shoulders and just take some breaths. OK. Um, and then was able to think with the person afterwards about um, how that felt different. And so, yeah, I love it when people start to teach 
techniques, you know, outside of the therapy that they know has worked for them, um, because it's it's a way of getting our psychology message to to be flung far and wide, you know, so that it's not just the people we're working with. Um, you know, I don't think they're all setting themselves up as renegade therapists, but they are observing where people would also benefit from the sterling work that they've had. Um, so, yeah, that's when I really like it when people start coming back in and saying, oh, we did some of that breathing, or I did that breathing with my child, and they really liked it, it really worked. And you're like, yeah, well done you. So the way that I work with people with trauma is to do stabilization stuff, to use um, compassion-focused therapy, to use the Our Tricky Brain Kit, um, and then, of course, to think about whether we might process any of those traumas with um, with something like EMDR. Um, but actually, sometimes it's enough that people are able to regulate themselves and stabilize themselves and then they don't necessarily need to process the traumas or they don't want to because it kind of keeps things more manageable for them so we don't always need to force clients not that we'd force them to do anything of course but we don't need to you know processing trauma is not always the holy grail you know absolutely we can be client-led and it might be that clients come to you for a chapter of therapy you know they come to you for the stabilization and then once they're used to tolerating their distress and tolerating the ideas um, and they're not judging themselves for their for their thoughts and they're not feeling as you know, full of shame or guilt, then then they might be ready to start thinking about processing. But, um, you know, actually what we're looking for is to alleviate distress. And so if the client is is freer from distress, um, then they might never want to or need to process those traumas. It might be that they've had enough or had as much as they need, certainly for now. So whatever branch of um, aspiring psychologist you are, I hope you found this useful. Um, as ever, if you are watching on YouTube, please do like this video. Leave me a little comment. Pop um, sun with some glasses on as an emoji so that I know that you've listened right to the end. That would mean a great deal to me. Um, and do subscribe and click that notification bell um, to be notified when I drop new content into YouTube. And if you are listening on another podcast pl platform, um, then yeah, please do subscribe um, because then I will drop into your um, into your library every Monday at 6am. Um, what is not to like about that? Thank you again for being part of my world and listening right to the end. Um, enjoy this jingle because I know that I will. Take care and have a lovely day. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast. Dr. Marianne Trent My name is Diakolola Amujo. I am a recent psychology graduate from Ireland. I am also an aspiring clinical psychologist. Dr. Marianne's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, has been so helpful to me on this journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. As I plan to continue postgraduate studies in the UK, 
I found it extremely useful that this book provided in-depth information on the UK declin site application process. I enjoyed reading about the experiences of both qualified and trainee clinical psychologists. The various narratives were my favorite part of the book, as everyone's story was different and it provided amazing insights into the clinical psychology journey. I would definitely recommend this book to anyone interested in psychology and aspires to become a clinical psychologist.